Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Or a murderer. All right, just calm down, okay? Just get in the spirit. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let Me Tell You a Story. After a not-so-brief hiatus, we are back. So, uh, just a little bit of background. We had a pretty wild fall. Our son got covid Um, My grandmother passed away and I had to leave the country and life just kind of kicked us in the ass. But we are back and ready to go and I am excited. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like the most positive way to restart this? This is very chipper. Yeah, you know what? I'm all about positivity these (laughs) days, you know? Life is short. I'm about negativity. Yeah, well, you can continue being negative. Negative COVID tests. hey Oh, Got him. Shame. (laughs) (laughs) All right, babe, are you ready for our first story back on the pod? Mm -hmm. All right, babe, let me tell you a story about not one, but two gruesome murders, a bank heist, and maybe even a couple kidnappings that would inevitably lead police on a nationwide manhunt. Bank robbery, bank robbery, kidnappings. Murders. Murders. It's going to be good. Also, there is torrential downpour outside, so if you're wondering, uh, what the F, Sinead, did you forget how to edit a podcast? No, I didn't, okay? There's just a storm. I like it. It's atmospheric. It is very atmospheric and kind of creepy. Set the mood. Is it raining when these people got murdered? No. No. It was the morning of June 11th, 1997, when police in What Cheer, Iowa, received a call from Joe Hollop. I'm sorry, What Cheer? Yeah, I'll get to it. Joe was a farmer and a landlord, and one of his tenants, 52-year-old Barb Garber, who was also one of his employees, had not shown up for work, and he was concerned. All right, so before we get into this crime, let's talk about what cheer Iowa. Like, that's two words? Two words. Shut up. First word, what? (laughs) Second word, cheer. Question mark? And as of 2020, the population of what cheer Iowa was 607 people. Zero cheer. I'm saying zero cheer in what cheer. So that's why I asked you last night about how many people you thought lived on our street because I was trying to make a comparison. I think that on our street alone, there's at least like 700 people. So to think about that versus an entire town of 600 people, this is a teeny, tiny, teeny town. Teeny, tiny, teeny. Yeah, there's more people in Landers. There's 2,000 people in Landers. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, So obviously, Watchir is a very small town, like I said. And if you're wondering about the name, I got you covered with Mm. this Wikipedia knowledge right here. Even though Wikipedia does say sources differ on the actual roots of the name. Mm. But they do mention that one major theory is that a Scottish miner exclaimed, Watchir! Like a young person or someone in a mine? No, a Scottish miner. Uh Like E-R. Like, (laughs) he discovered coal, a coal seam in the town back in the day in the 1800s, and he yelled, what cheer? Can you do it in a Scottish accent? No, can you? No. (laughs) How do you even say what cheer in a Scottish accent? Mm, Try it. I can't. Come on. No, I can only say Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) Scottish. I'm from Scotland. I'm from Scotland. I'm from Scotland. <laughs> what? What cheer? No, that's just English and not very good either. The record high population of what cheer 
was in the 1890s when there was about 3,200 people living there, okay? Which is still less than the entire number of people at my high school when I graduated in 2010. So it's always been a small town, but obviously people went there for the coal and riches. Go for the coal, stay for the scenery. Totally, but Watchier obviously didn't have a lot of scenery or anything else happening because now there's only 600 people living there. Where is it? In Iowa. What's in Iowa? Is that like corn? There is a lot in Iowa. There's a huge college there. Uh, There is a theme park, I'm pretty sure. A big one that people like. (laughs) Okay, there's like 10 colleges and five I've been there. In LA. I've been to Iowa. (laughs) It was fine. Was it corn? No, I went skiing there. That's where I passed out. You went skiing? In Iowa. There's a mountain? Yes. What's it There's called? There's a ski mountain. I don't know. I was 11 and I... Is it called what ski? No. <laughs> no, definitely not. All right. So Joe Hollop calls police concerned about his employee and tenant Barb Garber and police respond arriving at Barb's place around 9.30 a.m. Finding the door unlocked, authorities entered Barb's only to find the 52-year-old still seated in front of her breakfast. Unfortunately, Barb was dead. Mm having suffered four gunshots, two to the head and two to her chest. And her breakfast was in front of her? Yes, how dark. Shell casings from a twenty-two caliber gun were found near her body. Not found was her green pickup truck, which should have been there. So a couple reports say she was driving a Ford, but then a couple other reports say it was a Dodge. Same. It's pickup. Yeah. Yeah, and this is 1997, so it was probably a pretty cool pickup truck. No. No? All right. It wasn't a cool pickup truck at all. Police began canvassing the neighborhood, and one of Barb's neighbors informed authorities that there was an unfamiliar gray station wagon in Garber's driveway earlier. Driveway? (laughs) Station wagon. Driveway. In Garber's driveway earlier that morning around 5 a.m., which led police to believe that the driver of that station wagon was likely Barb's killer. Because apparently, there's nobody in this (laughs) town. Well, there's only 600 people. And they're like, like, what's a station wagon? No one has a station wagon. They're like, well, you know what? There's a station wagon there this morning at 5 a.m. The neighbors also said that they had never seen the station wagon. That's what I'm saying. They were like, we had a station wagon here in 1987, but there hasn't been one since. So this must be the killer. Totally. All right, so as the investigation really got underway, I cannot what? speak. What <laughs> fuck? Did you have a stroke? <laughs> but as the investigation really got underway, another crime was taking place just eight miles away at a bank in Gibson, Iowa. At around 10 a.m., two men wearing ski masks and coveralls entered the bank. Armed, the men made away with about $65,000. That's pretty good. Or about $112,000 today. That's pretty good for a bank robbery. Yeah, also inflation, you know? It's like one of those things that I don't really get, but I always just pretend like I understand that, like, money changes. The value of money changes. I know, but, like, why? (laughs) Just things cost more money, so the value of your money is less. So you need more money to buy things. I see. That does so make like, sense. Uh, but you see those old signs for like burgers where they're like, burgers, 19 cents. Mm-hmm. You know, now a burger's five bucks. I see, I see, I see. All right. Well, I, I did know what inflation was. <laughs> I was just testing you and you passed. Great job. 
So with Barb's killing and the bank robbery, police were quick to assume the two crimes were obviously connected, okay? And now, it may seem weird, but again, this is what cheer Iowa and Gibson were talking about. Nothing happens in these parts of Iowa, okay? Like, literally nothing. I so think- finding a dead body... Around the same time that two men are robbing a bank, police are like, all right, well, clearly, this is all the same crime. Yeah, I don't think you need to say this part of Iowa. I think you can just say Iowa. I don't know. There's you. Who knows? There's probably tons of populated, populous cities in Iowa. I don't think so. What's the capital of Iowa? Des Moines? Dude, that is where... That, it's full of corn. Dude, there's a lot happening in Iowa. There's not... All the people who live in Iowa right now are so offended by the fact that you think nobody lives there and nobody does anything. 2,000 people. I'm going to find some Iowa facts after this, okay? So there was a witness at the bank that morning. A 10-year-old girl told police that she had seen the bank robber's car, a blue sedan, which is obviously not the gray station wagon that had been seen by Barb's neighbor, nor was it Barb's car, the green Ford or Dodge pickup truck. But nevertheless, it was something for police to go on, a lead at least. And since there are only three roads that lead in and out of Gibson, (laughs) Iowa, authorities were able to locate the blue sedan very quickly. That's not me being sarcastic. That's actual fact. It was abandoned, of course, when they found the car. But because there are like four people in the town of Gibson, apparently, the officer who found the abandoned sedan knew who it belonged to. And that was a fellow Gibson resident, 18-year-old Island Schultz. Uh, First name Island. Yes, and she is a girl. Okay. Wasting zero time, police rocked up to Island's house around 11 a.m. Gibson Deputy Quinn, along with a few other police officers, had no idea whether or not Island was involved in the crimes that morning. But it seems like they believed Island was likely a victim in all of this and not a suspect. Obviously, they knew enough about the 18-year-old to speculate that she was likely not one of the perpetrators that day. Authorities would be proven right because when they entered Island Schultz's home, they discovered the 18-year-old girl's body in her living room. She had been shot in the back of her head as well as in her forehead. And they were also right to connect Barb's murder with the bank crimes because, again, they found a 22 caliber shell casing near Island's body. And this time, a neighbor of Island's told authorities they had seen a green pickup truck parked outside Island's home around 9.30 that morning. So for police, this was only further assurance that all of these crimes were connected. Later that day, police received a tip following a press conference where they had detailed the crimes and their suspicions to the public. So they obviously went on the TV and told everyone, hey, these things happened this morning and we believe it's all connected. The tip came from a resident who said they had seen the green pickup that day, and the driver was 22-year-old Jamie McMahon. The tipster also told police that seeing McMahon drive the truck stuck out to him because he was sure that McMahon, who was unemployed, could not have afforded a new pickup truck. Police knew Jamie McMahon because, again, this is a small-ass town, but Jamie McMahon was just another young boy to police. But remember, there were two bank robbers that day, and police began speculating that Chris Kaufman, Jamie McMahon's 18-year-old stepbrother, was likely the second perpetrator. Jamie McMahon's mother and Chris Kaufman's father met back in 1979. It's a good year, babe. Eventually marrying and raising their boys in Oskaloosa, Iowa, about 25 miles outside Gibson. According to Des Moines Register reporter Kirsten Scharnberg Hampton, Jamie was, quote, outgoing, charismatic, while Chris was the, quote, 
quiet, non-athletic kid. She also called him, quote, a dweeb. Jesus. <laughs> Rude, Kirsten. Chris Kaufman was a recent high school graduate, while Jamie McMahon had just been let go from his job at a local plant. But the two had become really, really close, like really close, especially within the previous few weeks. Jamie was constantly with his younger brother and his friends, and the two did drugs together because, you know, brotherly bonding or something. When police went to the boys' home the following day, their parents were completely dumbfounded that their sons were suspects in such horrible crimes. Two murders and a bank robbery. The parents were able to add to police suspicions that both boys were involved because they told authorities that the two had been very, very close, but the boys were nowhere to be found. So police did their best to track them down, starting with their friends. And the boys' friends had a lot to share with police. Police learned that the brothers had gotten into meth, seemingly the drug of choice for the youngins in that part of Iowa, and they were deep into the meth use. Police also learned that Jamie McMahon had borrowed his friend's car back in May, a gray station wagon, along with the same friend's 22 caliber handgun. He returned the car on June 11th, the same day of the murders and the robbery, but he had not returned the gun. With that information, police were able to match the shell casings from the scenes of both Barb Garber and Island Schultz's murders to the missing handgun. And then they publicly announced that both Jamie McMahon and Chris Kaufman were officially suspects. After the announcement, Island Schultz's family and friends told police that Jamie was a friend of Island's, connecting the dots even more for authorities investigating the crimes. So now the police were on the hunt for Jamie McMahon and his stepbrother, Chris Kaufman. The next day, June 13th, brought another lead, but it would come in the form of another potential crime. Two local families each reported their 16-year-old daughters missing after the girls had not been seen for several days. But making this missing persons report even more dire, the families were sure that their daughters were in the company of Jamie McMahon and Chris Kaufman. As police worked to confirm the family's suspicions, a local hotel employee provided little doubt to the family's claims, saying they had seen the boys with two teenage girls at the hotel where they worked, and the foursome had all arrived at the hotel in a gray station wagon. According to the hotel employee, the boys left the girls at the hotel around the morning of the murders, later returning to pick the girls up, but this time, the boys were driving a green pickup truck. Mm. So it was pretty much confirmed at that point, and police kicked their investigation into high gear. If the boys were in fact responsible for the deaths of both Barb Garber and Island Schultz and the robbery at Gibson Bank, which, let's be real, was seeming very likely at this point, the now missing 16-year-olds were in serious danger. But days passed, and the brothers had still not been found. So... I'm just trying to put this into perspective. Imagine being in a small town where like all of this happens within a matter of a couple days and there are two brothers who you know are armed responsible for all of it. 99% sure you're, they're responsible and they cannot be found. Like what the hell do you do at that point? I mean, they obviously went to, like, Six Flags or, like, Atlantic City or some shit, right? Oh, my God, babe. <laughs> I need a drink. 
So a major breakthrough in the case happened on June 21st when the two missing 16-year-old girls returned home safe and sound. And police were like, uh, okay, and they rushed to interview the girls. The girls told authorities that they had been partying with Jamie and Chris on the <laughs> night of June 10th. At the hotel, they would later be seen at by the employee the next morning. So the next morning, the girls confirmed that the boys had left and later returned in a different car, the green pickup truck. And they had a shit ton of money with them. The boys then suggested the four take a road trip to Disney World. Oh, it was so close. It was so close. Because why not, right? Like you said, they're 22 and 18. They just made off with $65,000. It's like when you win the Super Bowl, you know? <laughs> you just robbed a bank. What it's are you exactly, going to do next? Robbing a bank is exactly like We're winning the Super Bowl. We're going to Disney World. It's exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. Except you don't you don't get as much money in a bank robbery as you do from winning the Super Bowl. The girls told Deputy John Quinn that Jamie and Chris were spending an exorbitant amount of money during the road trip to Florida. So they had been watching them spend all this money as they were, like, driving down to Florida from Iowa. Sorry, what are you going to buy on a road trip to Florida? I don't know. Like, they're buying so much jerky. They are buying (laughs) so many snacks. Just big gulps. Just throw them out the window. Yes. (laughs) Like, it's like uh, they're getting chips and eating a couple and then throwing them out and opening the next bag or something. Um, And so the girls are watching this all take place and they're looking at each other like, um, what the hell is going on? This is cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. And they're like, this seems kind of weird, you know, like they left us at the hotel. They came up with a different car. They have like a lot of money on them and we've gone through like 12 pounds of Cheetos. (laughs) And so they finally asked the boys where the hell all the money came from. Casually, Jamie turns to the girls and he's like, oh, well, we robbed a bank and two people have been killed. And then the girls are like, oh, okay, can you take us home, please? Like, immediately. But at this point, they were already in Florida. Oh, that took them a long time to ask him that question. Yeah, (laughs) well, they were enjoying all the snacks, obviously. And Jamie was like, ugh. No, we are in Florida. So instead, the boys drop the girls off in an orange grove in Kissimmee. In Kissimmee? I've been to Kissimmee. Mm-hmm, me too. Yeah, I broke down there in a Corvette. Oh, you is that where you broke down? Yeah. One of the times you broke down? Yeah, one of the nine <laughs> times. God, yeah. They were deep in it. Though. Yeah, they were deep. So they throw the girls out of the car in the middle of this orange grove, and they threw some money at them. That's nice. Yeah, it was super nice. And then they just (laughs) sped away. (laughs) So the girls took the money and they were able to take a train back to Iowa. And obviously this is 1997. So they don't have like a cell phone on them. They're like, whatever. They're not going to call home, which I mean, it's kind of rude. Maybe they did. I don't know. It wasn't reported. But they just hopped on a train, went back and like showed up at their front doors of their homes. And their parents are like, oh my gosh, you have to talk to the police now, right? So police have all this information, but still, they have no idea of the boys' whereabouts. Disneyland. Disney World. Whatever. Meanwhile, the entire town in Iowa is aware of what's happening, and Jamie and Chris's poor parents are thrown into this horrific saga with their alleged murderous sons. Chris's father, Dan Kaufman, told the Ottumwa 
Ottumwa, Ottumna, Ottumwa Courier, quote. You're asking the wrong person. Yeah, I know. He said, quote, they're both good boys. And if they did do this, we feel drugs caused it. That's the only thing it could have been. It does seem pretty methy. It does. <laughs> Naturally, the press ran with it, plastering headlines that the brothers were missing after a drug-fueled murderous spree. And during my research, I found multiple articles that were like, it was so salacious, you know? Like back in 97, like meth-fueled boys' alleged murders, say parents. Friends confirm brothers on the run were hooked on crank. That was like what everyone called it. Hell yeah. Have you heard that term before? Yeah, there's a movie with Jason Statham called Crank. Oh, really? He also smokes meth. Because in the movie, he's had his heart taken out and replaced with a pacemaker. And if it goes below a certain heart rate, he dies. So he keeps having to like electrocute himself and smoke meth to keep his heart rate up. Oh my God. It's a great movie. You should watch it. That's really dark. <laughs> Sounds good. I do love Jason Statham. It's really good. And I do love meth. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Still, all this press did not lead to the brothers. So now we're at the end of June. And America's Most Wanted featured the case. They detailed the green pickup truck the boys would likely be driving. And that finally led to a promising lead on the brothers' whereabouts. Yeah, so America's Most Wanted featured the case, right? That's a big deal, right? Yes. America's Most Wanted... People love that show. Yeah, and especially back in the day, like, people really, really watched America's Most Wanted, and they would do these, these, uh, like, extra features of, like, have you seen this person or whatever. So, because there are so many people watching America's Most Wanted, it was, like, one of those shows that led to a lot of tips in a lot of cases, you know, yeah. there's like so many podcasts I've listened to and stories I've read where America's Most Wanted features features a person and that person ends up getting caught. Now you'd have to do it on like TikTok. No, and that also works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So a woman who had watched the America's Most Wanted segment, who was in Pensacola, Florida, mm. called police because she had seen the green pickup truck. Pensacola police were able to locate the truck, which was parked behind a hotel when they found it. The hotel staff told authorities that, yeah, those two boys were definitely staying at the hotel. But they were not alone. Police were sure that the third person was a hostage and not part of the boys' crime spree. They're like, oh my god, they're doing it again. They've got a hostage. Call the SWAT team. Call the hostage negotiate, negotiator. 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 <laughs> um, and all these people show up to the hotel. Okay, you have the freaking SWAT team with like their snipers. You have the hostage team. And you have all the police. Because obviously, having found out what the boys were suspected of doing two murders and a bank robbery and now they have a third person with them after they had released those two 16 year old girls they're like oh my gosh this person is in danger okay they didn't release the two girls the two girls were willingly going to disneyland well they asked them if they could take them home and they let them go yeah in an orange grove. Yeah, they said but we're still, not driving back to Iowa. Yeah, so just get out here. And they gave them some money. I think that's yeah, actually pretty legit. I don't feel like that's... They're not kidnapped, so they're not being released. they just like... They're not hanging out. Yeah, okay. But they had taken two teenage girls. Jamie is 22. 
on a cross-country road trip after committing a bunch of murders and a bank robbery. Right? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> why are you splitting hairs over this one thing? All right, so the hostage nego- negotiator, why can't I say that word? Negotiator. negotiator. The hostage negotiator, it's because hostage I'm here and to negotiator. <laughs> He's like, don't worry, boys. <laughs> I'm the negotiator. <laughs> And I'm here to negotiate. (laughs) The name's James. (laughs) So the hostage negotiator is like, all right, guys, I got this. Let me call the hotel room and see what happens. And someone picked up. It was the third person. He was a hitchhiker. And he told police that, yeah, he'd been picked up by the brothers, but they were just having a party. Drugs, alcohol, the usual. He told that over the phone? Yes. Oh, this guy rolls. Yes. He was like, wait, what? No, dude, calm down. We're just doing some drugs hey, and drinking some alcohol. strange person on the phone. What's up? Oh, yeah, no, I'm with these two guys. Yeah, we're just fucking getting high and like hammered. Yeah. He's like. Come over. He's like, wait, I'm sorry. You're a hostage negotiator? No, 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 no. No, I'm not a hostage. I'm just trying to party, man. And the hostage negotiator's like, okay, all right. But then in the middle of the conversation, Jamie grabs the phone and proceeds to go completely ape shit on the hostage negotiator. So he's screaming into the phone, yelling about how they're not coming out and all this stuff. But after some back and forth, the boys released the hitchhiker successfully negotiated yeah he's like just here listen to me let me negotiate with you just release just the release high chad. drunk guy release chad he's an you, innocent i would have loved to see the hitchhiker walk out he of that walks hotel out with like a peace sign what's up bro laughing what's up bro he's laughing like hey so they immediately take the hitchhiker into custody but he clearly had no idea <laughs> what the hell was going on. Uh, and he really was apparently just trying to party. So the police released him later that same day. Aren't we all? I know. They were like, okay, what the hell are we doing with this guy? Like, come on, just just go home, dude. Just go home. He's just at the police station be like, yo, hey, you got any booze? And he's like, okay, cool, thanks. He's like, uh, can I get a ride? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's released, okay? But before all of that, obviously, Jamie is still on the phone with the negotiator, and he was finally convinced to then release his younger brother, Chris. So Chris Kaufman comes out of the hotel and obviously is immediately taken into custody. Jamie is the last one to leave the hotel room. He finally surrenders. Obviously, police are like, we got him. Let's take them to the jail. When they search their hotel room, authorities recover the 22 caliber handgun and about $29,000 in cash. Despite the fact that $65,000 had been stolen. So they spent $45,000 in how long? Like three weeks. I could do that easily. I could do that in like two days. They bought nothing except for drugs. They were partying. Drugs and alcohol. In Florida. Probably strippers. Pensacola strippers. I, I guess foods. like staying in hotels every night. Food. Well, what kind of hotel was it? They were at a motel. Was it a Hojo's? <laughs> I don't know, probably. 
I mean, drugs can be expensive. Listen, I stayed at a Howard Johnson uh, resort one I time. S- I stayed in a Hojo in Pensacola. You did? Yes. Okay, well, I stayed at a Hojo's in the Wisconsin Dells, I think. Or, no, no, no. I'm sorry, not at, in the Wisconsin Dells. It was, like, outside of Wisconsin. Maybe it was on the way to Tennessee. But it was, like, a resort hotel, and it had a, a water park in it. The Hojo's I stayed in definitely had bed bugs. Ew. And was one of the most depressing places I've ever I'd been. I never, ever called it a Hojo's or thought badly of Howard Johnson until I talked to you. Do you know that? I never even knew what it was until Anthony was like, let's go to the Hojo's. Hey, bro, <laughs> let's go to the Hojo's. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Why? Ew. Yeah. But I guess like a day's in in Beverly Hills and a day's in in, I don't know, like... Pensacola. Pensacola. Kissimmee. Is Sorry, not, ki- not Pensacola. Kissimmee. I stayed in a Hojo's in Kissimmee. Yeah, but I'm saying like when it's a random town and it's not like one of the big major cities, even though Kissimmee's pretty big, but like, you know what I mean? Any hotel is going to be worse. Yes. Any hotel is going to be worse. I've stayed at really good Super 8 motels before, like mm, on road trips. No. And I've also stayed at Super 8s where I literally thought I was going to die. Yeah. But I have definitely stayed at like maybe like maybe like one, maybe two, uh, Super 8 and the other one. What's the other one? Motel 6. Motel 6. And I don't know where I was, but like it was a very safe, small town, very like conservative families on, on a road trip and was like very impressed. It was one of the only hotels available though. So the boys had stolen, I mean, technically $36,000. I think for 1997, that's a shit ton of money to spend. Wait, they, they spent, spent they spent thirty six thousand dollars. You said stolen. I know. I just corrected myself. What is wrong with you? Do you get some sort of joy out of like? I just want you to tell the story the right. I I just corrected myself. <laughs> You're like you said stolen. Do you want us to do it again? Okay, sure. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so after three weeks, the boys had spent (gasps) (laughs) $36,000. I hate you. Whatever, I'm keeping all of that in. Fuck off. All right, in custody, 18-year-old Chris Kaufman cracked like an egg. Oh, Chris. He told police that he and Jamie robbed the bank to fund their meth habit. But the same week, his brother Jamie had set his sights on Barb Garber's pickup. Because meth thoughts, right? Uh, it would be funny if she wasn't fucking murdered. Right? Yeah, it's awful. It's absolutely awful because it actually had nothing to do with their original plan. They just want, they just planned to rob the bank. But like a couple of days before they were going to rob the bank, they'd just been driving around high as hell when Jamie's like, oh my God, I really like that truck. We should get that truck. That's, that's like drug thoughts for sure. Like, being so high where you're just like, hey, this is a good idea. Yeah, well, he's like a psychopath. Yeah, well, I mean. So the brothers followed her home. Once they knew where she lived, they were set to pull off some good old grand theft. McMahon also thought, hey, this is perfect. We can use my new dream car in the robbery. Sorry, I thought McMahon was the younger one. No, Kaufman's the younger one. Okay, okay. McMahon is the older brother. He's 22. Chris Kaufman's 18. Okay. So he's like, all right, I really wanted this truck. This is perfect. Now we can use my dream car. This is the truck I've always wanted in the robbery, okay? 
That's the perfect way. I get a few hours with this cool car and we won't be able to tie us back to us because it's not our car, right? So they followed her home. Now they know where they live. Now they know where she lives. So the next morning, according to Chris, the brothers pulled up to Barb's with the plan in motion. After asking if they could use her phone, Barb welcomed the boys inside. That's so sad. Chris told police that Jamie then told Chris that Chris had to kill Barb in order to prove himself, as was reported on Oxygen's Killer Siblings, which is a real show, by the way. So murder was never even part of the plan, but while they're in the house, Jamie turns to his younger brother and is like, hey, if you really want to prove to me that you're, you're in this and you're going to do this with me, kill her, which is just awful. In his taped confession, Kaufman told police of the murder, quote, well, I felt kind of guilty about the whole thing, but I mean, really, it's just to me, all I had to do was just pull the trigger. That's all there was. Just in case you didn't know what kind of monsters we're dealing with here. So even though Chris Kaufman does seem like an idiotic younger brother who's trying to impress his older stepbrother, he's obviously... He's obviously still a horrible, horrible human being. Continuing with this story, Chris recalled that Jamie decided he wanted the pickup after the robbery. Okay, I'm assuming because he really liked it. So his plan to use the pickup in the robbery, he was like, "Eh, you know what? I kind of like this truck a lot. I don't want to use it in the robbery anymore. I want it for myself. So, of course, now they need a different car for the heist. He suggested that they use his friend, Island Schultz's car. So the boys head to her place. Chris told police that he did not want to kill Island too. So Jamie took the lead, shooting her in the back of her head and her forehead before the two fled with her station wagon. In his confession, Kaufman told police that he was strung out on crank or meth for days before the crimes and that he had not slept or eaten for nearly a week. That's mm, normal. So again, if you're doing that much meth and you're not spending money on food, then what the hell are you spending $36,000 on? Meth. Cigarettes. Mountain Dew. Gross. (laughs) Chris ended his interview truly confirming how much of an absolute idiot he really is, saying, quote, I know I'm going to prison, and see, when I do, I know at some point in time, I mean, plain and simple, I might kill somebody in prison. Because I know if prison's anything like people tell me what it is, people are going to mess with me. Then I mean, I'll get someone while they're sleeping. Even Florida police were like, okay, get these shitheads out of here. And so the brothers were extradited back to Iowa. Jamie McMahon and Chris Kaufman were charged with aggravated robbery, carjacking, and two counts of first-degree murder. And somehow their lawyer was able to negotiate a plea in order to avoid the death penalty. So they pled guilty and they were sentenced to life in federal court and also received consecutive life sentences in state court, all but guaranteeing that the brothers would die behind bars. You mean state court. So they were charged federally and locally. And I'm assuming they were charged federally because they crossed state lines with a minor or they crossed state lines after committing a murder or like something of that nature, because I think that's when it becomes a federal crime. I believe. I mean, I know in a lot of states, in a lot of cases, like nowadays, that's how it works. But they were obviously charged in Iowa um, for the murders as well. For one brother, that death would come sooner rather than later. 
On November 13th, 2017. <laughs> what is your problem? What's your problem? It's still recording. Your face. <laughs> your face is making me laugh and I'm trying to say something serious. Don't look at me. <laughs> You're bugging me. Okay. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I need a break. Okay, for one brother, that death would come sooner rather than later. On November 13th, 2017, Jamie McMahon was discovered unresponsive in his cell at the U.S. Penitentiary Administrative Maximum in Florence, Colorado. Despite receiving life-saving measures from emergency medical services, a now 42-year-old Jamie McMahon was pronounced dead at 10.30 a.m. His cause of death was suicide. McMahon had been transferred to the Colorado jail in 2005 to continue serving his life sentence. Now, 20 years after his conviction, he was dead. His younger brother, Chris Kaufman, remains incarcerated at the McCreary Federal Prison in Kentucky. And that's the story of Jamie McMahon and Chris Kaufman. Well, that was lurid. What? <laughs> <laughs> I have looked up the 12 top-rated tourist attractions in Iowa, okay? During the reading of this podcast? Yes, I did. Okay. So Number we have... One, corn. No. <laughs> but the picture is of a farm in Iowa. Number one is the National Mississippi River Museum and Aquarium. Hold on, I need my glasses. Show me the picture. It's otter. I okay. love the caption says otter. <laughs> So it features collections, exhibits, and live animals, obviously, that reflect the cultural and geological importance of the mighty Mississippi River. Okay, I'd go to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They also have Next. permanent exhibits like the Mississippi River Discovery Center Next. and a 4D Next. theater. Okay. Then you have the state capitol. Okay. That's really pretty. Every state has a state capitol. It's in Des Moines. It's gold. <laughs> <laughs> Next. Okay. <laughs> Then you have the Bridges of Madison County. Is that a movie? Yeah, I think so. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Before the Bridges of Madison County became a blockbuster, they were, they were simply bridges. a part of life for people <laughs> living in this area in the late 19th century. All right. It's 82 miles. I don't care. Then they have the American Gothic House. Grant Wood, do you know that artist? No. Okay. That's the guy with the pick. Pitchfork. Pitchfork. That's pretty cool. So... This is the house, and it details the life of Grant Wood and the history of the house that he famously painted. That's the house he painted in the painting. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Field of Dreams <laughs> movie site. <laughs> All right. So Field of Dreams is in 1989. Kevin Costner. Yeah. Kevin Costner movie, or it was filmed in 1989 at least. Uh, this article says, while visiting this movie site in Dyersville, you might find yourself asking, is if this you, heaven? If you build it, they will come. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. It's a fun location for fans of the film, it says. Jesus Christ. The, Next. It's, uh, the, Next. It's reenactments Next. from the movie. <laughs> Dude, it, they do reenactments from the movie featured co featuring costumed baseball players. Do they have a Kevin Costner look Stepping out of the corn stalks to put on a family fun show. It's calm, dude. I'm telling you. It's really you. funny. <clears throat> All right, well, that's the story, and that's <laughs> Iowa for you. I think what we can take away from this story is don't do drugs, honestly. My takeaway is these kids 
were doing meth and did a bunch of meth shit, and then they naturally gravitated towards the center of meth shit, Florida. That's my. That's mine. I thought you were gonna say Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, okay. they, did they ever make it to Disney World? No, they, they made didn't? it to Pensacola. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening to our first story back about the murders of both Barb Garber and Island Schultz. And uh, let us know your thoughts. Be sure to give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your pods. And uh, if you are, one, a hostage negotiator, or you have thoughts on this case or any other cases we should cover, you can email us at letmetellyouastorypod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big-